You're listening to episode 62 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a holistic nutritionist and women's lifestyle coach living in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And here on the Room to Grow podcast, I bring you thoughts or guests in areas of nutrition, mindset, lifestyle, and entrepreneurship that will help you gain confidence so you can stress less and elevate yourself to create the life you love. We are not here to do things perfectly, but we are here to learn from each other and to grow with lots of self-love and compassion along the way. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. And today I'm talking to a very special guest all about female hormone health and the birth control pill. This is something that if if you've been following me for a while, you might have heard me talk about, but I haven't I haven't spoken about it uh, more recently. I was on the birth control pill for eleven years, and that's a long time for it to be on any type of pill or or drug. And when I came off of it, I had a lot of difficulty regaining my period. And Dr. Jolene Brighton was one of the people that I went to and looking for resources and and things to get um, everything back on track and to get my hormonal health in order. And she is absolutely incredible. So today we're talking to Dr. Jolene Brighton and she is a functional medicine naturopathic medical doctor. She's also the founder of Rubus Health, a women's medicine clinic that specializes in women's hormones. And she's recognized as a leading expert in post-birth control syndrome and the long-term side effects associated with hormonal contraceptives. So Dr. Brighton is also the author of Beyond the Pill, which is coming out next week on January 29th. And it's a 30 day plan to support women on birth control, help them transition off and eliminate symptoms of post birth control syndrome. She's also a speaker. She's a women's health advocate, a very passionate one, I might add, and a medical advisor for one of the first data-driven apps to offer women personalized birth control recommendations. This woman knows her stuff inside and out. And I absolutely am so excited. If you've never heard of her, I'm honored to even be the one to share her with you because she is absolutely amazing. We cover so much in this episode and The reason why I went straight to her is because she is the most passionate woman I know on this topic. You can hear the passion in her voice. She gives such incredible, complete answers on everything that we discussed. And we're talking about everything from what post-birth control syndrome and PCOS are and what they look like, the many ways that the pill can affect your body and symptoms that can present when you're on the pill or even after coming off of the pill too. And there are a lot, trust me, uh, what kinds of testing to ask your doctor about, which is so, so crucial and some potential effects of the pill on fertility, which I know is a big concern for a lot of women. So this is a big episode. There's a lot to absorb. I would honestly suggest listening to this at least twice And if you are driving, you might need to listen again later when you have access to being able to take some notes because quite literally, you need to hear everything that is in this episode. Most importantly, go order her book. Go make sure to get yourself a copy of Beyond the Pill. You can pre-order it right now and it will be arriving on your doorstep next week when it comes out on the 29th. So go check it out. It's going to be an incredible, incredible resource and just an amazing thing to tell all of your girlfriends about too, because how many of us have been on the pill at one point or another in our lifetime, right? All of us can use this. So please 
go and order her book and any resources that are mentioned will all be over in roomtogrowpodcast.com. I'm, I'm so excited. I have Dr. Jolene Brighton joining us today. Dr. Jolene, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Oh, I, it's funny because I've been following you for quite some time. Um, actually, I'll just, I'll share a little bit of, of my personal story and then I want to hear all about you. I, I came across you when I came off of the pill after 11 years and you were sort of, and in my mind still are one of the go-to resources for anyone struggling with issues with the birth control pill coming off the pill all of the issues associated with it. And I just found you to have such incredible resources that I found so, so helpful. So I always refer people to you. And this is was just really cool that I, I get to bring you to everyone else that, that I know who might not already be aware of your amazing work. So thank you again. And I want to hear more about, about you. So tell us kind of how you ended up doing what you're doing and uh, what is it that, that you do and, and that you're most known for. Yeah. Um, so firstly, let me just say that's, that's amazing. It never will stop being amazing to me. If you know me and you've been following me, you know, like I still like, um, you know, my whole life has been turned upside down and I have a view from the Eiffel tower right now, which is awesome, but I still celebrate every time the sparkly lights go. And so like, that's the kind of person I am is I'm like, I'm never going to get to a point where I'm like, wow, I'm not blown away that like, the age of the internet and how many lives you can touch and how much you can change. Like I grew up without, I didn't have a computer until I was 21. Like I come from an era of like pen pals, like you wrote a letter in the mail and you hope that someone wrote you back. And like the novelty <laughs> of like, um, there are people all over the world who write me and are like, wow, I found your work. It changed my life. And I'm like, wait, how does somebody in Dubai know who I am? Like, how does that even work? That's amazing. So I just want to say thank you uh, for that. And thank you for the work that you're doing because, you know, women's medicine, it needed to change like yesterday. And it's only going to change because of women like you and I and your listeners banding together, creating that change for ourselves. So you know, my story is, it's kind of a long one. I'm going to, I'm going to try to truncate it, but I actually was like a, a pretty sick kid. So when I was a kid, I had chronic gastritis, uh, which is inflammation of the stomach and a lot of digestive issues. And the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. And this started around seven years old. And it got to the point where I was throwing up after every meal, which made everybody conclude that I had an eating disorder. And that was the first time I was told by doctors that my symptoms were in my head and that what I was experiencing probably wasn't real and I was doing it to myself and it really came down to the fact that they didn't know what was going on and fast forward a decade later at age 17 um, they the H. pylori had been discovered so this is a bacterial infection so it used to be it used to go the story in medicine that you get ulcers because you're stressed well I'm a trained gal so I think yes stress does leave you susceptible to this organism known as H. pylori which hadn't been discovered yet they discovered it and my doctor was like hey there was just this bacteria discovered. Why don't we test you for that? And sure enough, now at that time, there was no breath test. You had to actually have an endoscopy. So second endoscopy of my life, tube down the throat, cut a little piece out of my stomach, several. And there it was. I had H. pylori. And so we, what went from doctors telling me that and telling my mom uh, that like, these symptoms were not likely real came to, oh, actually, we made a discovery. We know more in medicine. We can do better. We have a test. And actually, they're not in your, it's not in your head. We actually discovered something. And here it is. So I was treated for that. 
And um, through all of that, my doctor told me that diet had no bearing on my digestive issues, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, I think anybody listening can be like, wait, what? Um, yeah, you know, there's been a lot of myths <laughs> going around in medicine. And um, they told me I was going, so I was actually put on proton pump inhibitors as a child, things that were experimental at the time. They hadn't done studies in children. Um, and at 17, I was told, okay, you're going to have to take this pill every single day. And uh, I laughed and I was like, yeah, right. Like I'm going to take a pill every single day. And then I got on birth control. <laughs> and I did take a pill every day. But you know, that's really what propelled me into studying nutrition is because I began to experiment with my diet and I figured out that like if I ate refined carbohydrates, if I drank, you know, orange juice with pasta, like getting sugar, refined carbohydrates, then I had heartburn. And so that was something where I'm like, okay, there's something to this. Now we all know that like those are triggering foods for reflux for sure. And so that took me into studying nutrition. My first degree was in chemistry, next degree in nutritional biochemistry. I thought I was going to get my PhD and I actually was on my way, full ride um, scholarship to get my PhD in uh, nutrition and doing nutrition research when I found naturopathic medicine. And it was just this moment where it clicked for me. Where I was like, I have this, I have all this science, like so much science in my background. But what I don't have is the philosophy that respects and honors the body's ability to heal. I'd always been interested in herbal medicine, natural therapies, and using food as medicine, like since I was a child, because doctors weren't giving me answers. So I was trying to figure out this stuff on my own, and um, that propelled me into naturopathic medicine. So I was in naturopathic medical school, um, about a year in, a decade on the pill, and I learn, now this is like the third time I learn about the menstrual cycle, but it was the first time it was explained to me in a way that made sense, and that was because we were talking about fertility, which is sadly the time that we all learn we're only fertile about one day out of the month. And I remember sitting there in class and being like, hold up, what? I've been suppressing my body? Like I've been taking a pill like every single day for 10 years to not get pregnant, and yet I'm only fertile, like I can only get pregnant like a week max out of the month. And I feel really betrayed. Like, why didn't anyone tell me this? And um, I do want to say I'm not anti-birth control because I'm a first generation college student. And it was absolutely a tool that was instrumental in my ability to become a doctor. I mean, that's a tool that I use to be able to do that. So I get off of hormonal birth control. And I develop what I now know is post-birth control syndrome. And that is that for the first time in my life, I lost my period and I developed cystic acne plus crazy mood swings. Like you do not want to be around me. Like I was pissed. And I have colleagues that will tell you that like, like you know, Jolene Brighton was not a person you wanted to be around like about one week out of the month. Like she was not <laughs> a nice person. I tried to be. Um, but you know, here's, here's the thing though, is like my doctor at that point, I went to my doctor and I'm like, I don't have a period. Like it's been three months. I don't have a period. Like what is going on? And he was like, well, you, you probably have PCOS. You probably always had PCOS. I'm like, no, cause I always have regular periods. And he told me you're probably misremembering. And I'm like, no, no, no. You slow your roll right there because I would bleed seven to eight days out of the month. I marked it on my calendar because I was a hot water bottle hugging, my doll pop and gal writhing in pain on the floor. And I dreaded my period. I thought my body hated me. And then you better believe I was tracking that business. I also come from a large Hispanic family. Nobody has PCOS. Everybody has tons of kids. Like I was the first person not to get pregnant before age 20. Like I got a fertile family and I, I have a friend, you know, I have friends of mine that 
we joke, we're like, you just look at a Latina and they can get pregnant. Like that's how <laughs> fertile we are. Um, and I know it's not true for uh, everybody. So I don't want to make anyone feel bad, but um, you know, with that, I, you know, I developed post birth control syndrome, but I thought I was a freak. Like my doctor made me feel like, like I started to doubt myself where I was like, well, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe you do have PCOS. Maybe I always had acne. I don't remember it. And I'm like, no, no, you do. And like, yeah, I think every woman listening to this has probably been there where a doctor like discredits you, scouts your story, tells you you don't remember things. Then you're like, well, this person's an, like they're authority. They're an authority. Maybe I should trust them. Should I trust myself? And you, you get in this like loop. Well, fortunately, I had a background in nutritional biochemistry. I was in naturopathic medical school, learning herbs, learning you know proper supplementation, how to do root cause medicine, and I was able to turn all of that around, reclaim my period, and reverse all those symptoms. And um, you know what happened is that I so while I was in naturopathic medical school, I did two years of homeless youth clinic rotation where we did a lot of prescribing of hormonal birth control. Because that's a very high risk population. These are women who don't have doors they can lock at night. So they're very high risk of sexual assault. And they, as you can imagine, they're not in a position where they want to be getting pregnant. And so this is why I'm not, whenever people are like, oh, you hate the pill, you hate horm like hormonal birth control. I'm like, no, <laughs> because I don't live in your body. I don't know your life. Like, we've got to support you and wherever you're at. And after I was done with that, I was like, you know what? I'm done with birth control. I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with it. Um, and I was, you know, simultaneously doing rotations in an internal medicine clinic and noticing that like, if you were a gal that was going off to college, you were just written a script for birth control. It was like, you're right of passage. You're going to college. Don't get pregnant. That's a good thing. Like if you don't, if babies making it on the agenda, but there was no discussion of side effects or anything else. Yet in this state run clinic, the state's funding it, they have requirements of like, you have to tell them all of these things. And so women were getting different stories and I wasn't seeing ubiquitously women were getting the story about birth control. Now, fast forward to my private practice, and that's about the point where I got known as the doctor who believed the birth control stories. And it's so funny because my husband laughs at me. He's like, I remember that day that you were like, oh, I don't want anything to do with birth control. I'm never going to do anything with that again. And he's like, and the next thing we knew, you were like, everybody was coming to you with birth control side effects, birth control you know, related issues when they got off of birth control, having infertility, all of these things, which... You know, having a background in science, I just went into documenting protocols and getting really curious and trying to figure out what was going on, which is what led me to coin the term post-birth control syndrome to start documenting all these protocols. And, and then <laughs> I wrote a book on, <laughs> on birth control, which is the funniest thing. So I'm like, you know, never, never say you're, you're done with something or you don't want something because sure enough, that's like, when you say that, that's, there's, I think there's always something inside you that knows like nope actually that's what you're aligned to do and like maybe you're just not ready to do that big scary thing but believe me the universe is going to throw it right back in your lap <laughs> so <laughs> that's a bit of my my journey and like you know why I have the philosophy that I do I I love that story I love how well-rounded it is because you just have such a an interesting background in it. And it's so funny to me that you thought that you were totally done and the universe just kind of threw it back in your lap and you're like, nope, this, you're the right person for this. It's so funny how that happens. I have so many things that I want to address from that. First is that I, I really appreciate that you have such a strong science background too, because I think that 
it, the, the, the tides are changing, but I think that a lot of times some people might still be in the stigma that going the more natural approach means skipping the science. And it's mm -hmm. not about skipping the science. It's about just incorporating both approaches in whatever way is going to work the best for that unique individual. So I'm really, I'm, I love that you have such a strong science background. The other thing that really strikes me about that is, and I, I've, I've seen you talk about this before, that sometimes you continue to be shocked about what people's doctors say to them. And when I went on the pill, just like you said, there was absolutely no discussion of side effects. The only thing that they checked with me about was whether or not I was a smoker, because that could contribute to blood clots and, and other things totally. like that. But when I went off the pill and then I didn't regain my period, we'll go, but we'll go into this more with um, like post birth control syndrome, but I didn't regain my period for a year after I came off of the pill. And when I went to my family doctor almost a year after being without a period, he told me that he was sure I was still ovulating. He had no testing to back that up and he didn't. <laughs> and you had no period. <laughs> he also said, if I wanted to get pregnant, I wouldn't likely need to worry at all. Like, no problem. It's fine. And that if I wanted my period back so badly, he could just put me back in the pill. And I was <laughs> furious. I, I left livid. I couldn't even talk to him. I'm like, oh no, you, you're not my person. Like, <laughs> and I think that you likely hear stories about that all the time. Totally, totally. And it just, it blows my mind because, you know, you've probably heard me say this, you know, uh, there are, there's, I mean, I didn't make up these statistics, but doctors are in the top 5%, 5% of intelligent people in the world. And so it baffles me when I hear this kind of stuff. I'm like, it doesn't, it's not even common sense. Like, and there is so much about a woman's body that you don't have to go to medical school to understand. Um, but it is something that like, when I stand back and I look at it, I'm like, this really comes down to like dogma that they've been handed, that they've been taught was like the gospel in medical school and then was beat into them in residency. And like that they've just come to believe it. And it, it's something that like, I crack up about it because they'll be like, Evidence-based medicine, so like you were saying, like people will get super, super critical. And I actually had somebody write me on Instagram the other day, and they're like, "My doctor's like, oh, you're gonna go with those natural therapies? Like, good luck. That's not gonna work." And I'm like, and she's like, "But nothing he's given me is work." I'm like, right? Like, can they wake up to that? Like already to the fact that like what they are doing isn't the full story. It's not serving women. It's women are demanding better. Like it isn't that women are rejecting conventional medicine or rejecting pharmaceuticals. It's not about that. It's about questioning what's true for us, what's best for us. Like we're at a place in medicine where we can totally respect the individualized approach that like that's necessary. The one size fit all, it's not, it's not working. It's failing. Like, and I don't like to like hate on the United States, but like we are, we are not winning when it comes to our healthcare. We just are not. Every time the reports come out, like, and as we're speaking right now, I'm sitting in France in like the top 10 of healthcare. And, you know, my son got really sick. We went to a conventional pediatrician and he spent an hour with us talking to us about everything. It was a very different experience that, you know, I'd actually done pediatric rotations in the United States. And like with a conventional doc, it's like seven to 15 minutes. And it's because and it's not the doctor's fault. Like, I want to say that. It's not the doctor's fault. It's like the way the whole system is set up is not working for anyone. It's not working for the doctor. It's not working for the patient. And, you know, for everybody listening, 
your doctor may mess up. Okay, so your doctor, that was a mess up there. That was a foul, foul. Uh, <laughs> go take a lap, buddy. But uh, it's really important to understand that he went to medical school with the interest of helping you. Like nobody gives up a decade or more of their life to go through all of that if they don't truly want to help people. It's not that drive. But the other thing I think we need to recognize is that you know conventional docs serve a really important role in medicine However, it isn't necessarily root cause. Like they're not taught about that. And so when we go to them with a complex, uh, you know, issue, so like PCOS or post-birth control syndrome or even P PMS, it's like, it's very nuanced. Like we're women, we're complicated. That's what makes us fun. Um, but when you go to them with that, like, what are they really trained in? They're trained in like, so you get a primary care doctor, they're trained in triage. Like, are you going to die? Or are you not going to die? What specialists do I need to get you to? What labs to do? What pharmaceutical do I have for you? That serves. There is there is a need for that. But when it comes to these complex issues, you may go to your doctor and you feel frustrated because you're like, I can't get what I need. But it's kind of like going to the sandwich shop and asking for ice cream. Like they're never going to be able to serve you ice cream. That's just not what they do. Like, but if you want a sandwich, that's your jam. Like that's the place to go. And so I think we need to start like shifting that mindset in healthcare because I think that Doctors and patients alike are getting frustrated. This will, it's a very top-down effect, but we also need to recognize that everybody has a place in healthcare, and it's about getting to that right doctor as soon as possible. In the United States, the average woman, it takes about five doctors before she gets a diagnosis um, and really gets heard. I mean, that's really the crux right there, is it's not just about getting the diagnosis. It's about someone hearing her, believing her, and deciding to do better for her and working her up. And so, you know, that's something where it's like we need to – and I very much think like if you can right away identify like, okay, I go to my gynecologist, I want pap smears. And this is an interesting thing in conventional medicine. If you have a hormonal issue that's sex hormones, you go to your gynecologist. If it's anything else, you go to the endocrinologist as if those two things don't like, as if your thyroid has nothing to do with your ovaries and your adrenals and your insulin. And it, it, it doesn't make very much sense. And um, you may have heard me say this before, but it's like who, you know, we, we've studied medicine and we've compartmentalized it. We've compartmentalized the body. We've made all these specialties and you know, who does not care about that? Your body. Your body doesn't care how I want to piecemeal it, how anybody wants to piecemeal it and be like, oh, you have a gut problem, gastroenterologist. Oh, you have a hormone problem, which kind? Send you to this other doctor. Your body doesn't care about that. It is all connected and there's no two ways about it. it you have to be looking at people holistically. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I, I am glad too that you pointed out that the doctors are doing the best with the information that they have to some degree, but that, you know, maybe sometimes there needs to be either a little bit more education or just people kind of opening their eyes and, and looking around a little bit at more kind of the whole picture because people are holistic beings. And that's exactly why, why I appreciate your, your approach so much. And I came straight to you for something like this because you are the most passionate person that I know about this topic. So I want to ask you more about like post birth control syndrome. And I, I know you mentioned like a handful of symptoms, but what is it? Like, can you break it down for us for anyone who isn't familiar with, with what the heck we're talking about? <laughs> yeah. So actually I define this, um, multiple times in my book beyond the pill. And then I go into detail about like, how does this occur? Like, why isn't a post birth control syndrome occurs? And so post birth control syndrome is a term that refers to the collection of signs and symptoms that arise when you stop taking a hormonal contraceptive. So it's not just the pill. The pill has been around the longest. So we've observed it the longest with the pill that it can happen 
happen with any of these hormonal contraceptives. And that can look like things, so it can be an array of symptoms, and they, can, they typically come on about four to six months after stopping. However, it can be sooner. And it can be later. And why it can be later is because sometimes the symptoms are really subtle and you're easy, it's easy to just like keep on moving, keep on moving. And then your body's like, nope, no more. I need you to pay attention. That can be like a year later. And when you go through a woman's timeline, like I do in my clinic, <clears throat> excuse me, we will often see that, like, okay, you actually did have some symptoms there. And then like over time, they were increasing because you didn't address those. And why it can be so confusing for doctors is because they think, okay, hormonal birth control stays with just the reproductive system. So it affects the reproductive system. So if you're not having reproductive related issues, so you're not having period problems of some kind, then it's, it's not likely related to your hormonal contraceptives. However, these symptoms can look like things like hypothyroidism, a rising leaky gut, so uh, intestinal hyperpermeability we see, the hormonal birth control, the pill specifically induces that. There can be immune-related symptoms going on. You can get pill-induced PCOS, so that's what I had. It looked like PCOS, but it was not PCOS, um, which is a little bit, you got to be a little more of a detective to figure that one out. It can be things like mood swings, headaches, anxiety, depression, new onset of acne, back knee, neck knee, chest knee, uh, butt knee, um, all of the acne. <laughs> I've had women who are like, I had clear skin my whole life. And then they come off of birth control and they're like, I have zits all over my body. Like, how does this even happen? How is it that like I'm 42 and I look worse than my teenage daughter? Like, what is going on here? Like, and that's like the worst. Um, so, you know, the symptoms can really range and they can also be gut related symptoms, which I, I really think, you know, the gut and the liver is really at the crux of how so much of this develops. But, you know, you got to pay attention to the entire system. And this is why, you know, um, we, in medicine, we do a review of systems. You got to go through every single system and ask every single question to understand what's going on and how she was affected. Because we just don't have enough research at this point to understand why some women absolutely struggle when they get on hormonal birth control, why some women, it is just complete chaos when they come off. Like we need a lot more data around this. And something I, I will say is that I've had critics say, well, there's no such thing as post-birth control syndrome because there's been no study to say that. And I'm like, I always laugh because I'm like, okay, can you tell, can you tell the like hundreds of thousands of women who are reporting that they've had this, that this is not real all because you don't have a single study to say the single term. And like, this is a term, like, how do we get to a place? Like, how do we get to a place where we study this more and we get a better understanding? We start with a common language. Just like we started with adrenal fatigue. Now, yeah, sure, the adrenal glands don't get fatigued, but it was like a necessary step in the progression of understanding that. Once upon a time, people said adrenal fatigue. Everybody said, you're crazy, you're a quack. Why are you talking about adrenal fatigue? And all these patients were like, I got it. I have these symptoms, but here we had doctors dismissing it, scientists dismissing it. Now you go to PubMed, HPA dysregulation is everywhere. It's a necessary step to have that common language so we can get up to a place to understand it a lot more deeply. And you know, in my clinical experience, what I found is that the majority, if not all women struggle to come off of birth control in some way, you know, depending on how long they are on it and what their specific factors are. Well, and, and I know that one of the things you mentioned was PCOS, and I feel like this term is getting thrown around a lot, and mm -hmm. I, I would love for you to break down exactly what PCOS is as well, because I, I just, I hear so many women, I, I have women approach me for nutrition help, and 
and they will tell me that they've basically self-diagnosed themselves with PCOS. And I'm like, yeah. okay, but we need to, we need to take like a little step back at that. Like, I mean, first of all, I certainly can't diagnose anyone with that, but I would love for, for you to explain what PCOS looks like and how, how it appears in a lot of women too, because there's so many different variations with it. Totally. And this is the thing. So I'm, uh, one of my really good friends is Dr. Fiona McCullough, who's also a brilliant, I love her. She's brilliant. And we've had discussions about this, like a lot of discussions because PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome is a terrible term for this condition. Like, because it's, it's so much more nuanced than that. And really like, we're going to start piecing it out and realizing that like, there's all these different variations. And, but at the same time, it's a difficult thing because women have had to fight for so long to even get this term recognized, to even get this diagnosis, to even get a doctor to see them and to see their symptoms. And so it's a tricky thing right now because you know, there's us in the scientific and medical world who's like, this term really needs to change. Like we need to like, you know, parse it out and, and be more specific with our language. But at the same time, it's like, well, women have had to fight for so long just to get recognition of PCOS. So do we change that now and start over? Like we could possibly be starting over. Like, so that's kind of scary. So it's a tricky thing. And so um, that's why you're saying like so many women, they can present differently. Now with um, pill-induced PCOS, so this was actually first, that term was coined by Dr. Lara Brighton, who I was telling you before we started recording, we get confused all the time. We're good friends and we don't, we don't mind it. She's um, awesome. <laughs> she, she is really awesome. And I quoted her in my book um, on this. So, you know, with the post-pill PCOS, what happens is, so the phenomenon that um, I talk about in Beyond the Pill is the androgen rebound. So that is, you've been suppressing those ovaries, that's how the pill works, and then they come back online and they're like, let's kick out all this testosterone, and your adrenal glands are like, and we're in chaos, so let's kick out DHEA and convert that to testosterone, and that's where we'll get the acne, and then you can get anovulatory cycles. Now, anovulatory cycles are a hallmark of PCOS. So we see that women do not ovulate and it's a big reason why women get put on hormonal birth control. So, you know, there's been estimates in surveys that uh, 58% I've even seen as high as 65% of women are using hormonal birth control for symptom management, irregular periods being one of the top ones, which is only masking PCOS, hypothyroidism, insulin issues, like other issues. So, you know, I really have a problem with using it for symptoms without asking why first. Like if, if you're a gal, you want to use it for symptoms, that's totally your prerogative, but you should at least have the full story and know what's going on in your body. So <clears throat> I had to say that piece because I'm going to explain, you know, what we know about PCOS right now and why this is important with hormonal birth control. So what we know about PCOS right now is that it's really rooted in a metabolic issue. So it's got a hormonal side effects. So you've got the androgen issues, the anovulatory cycle, so you can have estrogen dominance because if you don't ovulate, you don't have enough progesterone. So, you know, with that in mind, it really comes down to insulin dysregulation, blood sugar dysregulation, the insulin hitting your ovaries, causing those androgens to come out. And um, so, you know, with that, there's also an inflammatory piece. So we've got blood sugar dysregulation, insulin resistance, inflammatory uh, proteins are up. And now there's new research showing that the microbiome is different in these women. Like they have different organisms. There's a microbiome component. No surprise there, which by the way, 
back when I was getting my nutrition degree, I was taught that the microbiome was like a bunch of freeloaders. And uh, basically they gave you like a little bit of vitamins, but otherwise they're freeloaders eating all your food. And that was the dogma then. Now look at what we know. Like, and, and back then, if you gave probiotics, people were like, why are you doing that? You're, you're crazy for doing that. There's no evidence for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, come on now, people. Um, there's nothing your body does or has that doesn't serve a purpose. And anytime medicine gets cocky and is like, oh, like remember the appendix? Oh, you don't need an appendix. Just cut it out. Like, psh, what do you think you know better for the body? Like, the, the body's been doing this so much longer than you. Come on, get it together. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that it's worthless. Like, that's just so silly to me. So with PCOS, if it's rooted in a metabolic issue, we've got the metabolic issue going on. That, and some women will have the weight gain, they have the acne, they have hair loss on their head, chin, chest, abdomen will start growing hair. Other women will have a lean PCOS, but they could still have the acne component going on. So it really can be a spectrum. And, um, and you know, because the, the, the story used to go, well, if you have PCOS, you're going to be overweight. And then it's like, well, oh, now we know there's actually like, there's some fit PCOS women out there and they are not overweight. But really at the crux, we can measure a hemoglobin A1C. That's what your blood sugar looked like over the last three months. We can get a fasting insulin. We can also do a glucose challenge to see how your insulin responds. And when it comes to testosterone, most docs are testing total testosterone. That's not enough. You need to test free testosterone in women. And you definitely need to look at DHEA as well because DHEA can be elevated. And then you need to be looking at those C-reactive proteins. Um, so I prefer C-reactive protein, HSCRP specifically. It's very sensitive and it can help you understand you know, what's going on with inflammation. In my patients, I don't like to see anything over one. When we get over three, that starts to be a problem. In some conventional offices, they're like, it's not a problem until it's over five. What, what's a fast way to get chronic disease? Inflammation. So that's why I keep very tight reins on those lab markers, especially in my PCOS women. Now, um, knowing all of that, let me share that hormonal birth control, and the pill specifically is what's been linked with this, is known to raise C-reactive protein, is known to be inflammatory. So you can take it, we can measure your blood and see Okay, it's inflammatory. So you're giving a woman uh, the pill because she has PCOS and you're inducing further inflammation. What else does the pill do? It disrupts the microbiome and it lowers microbial diversity. Oh snap, wait a minute. This is a condition where it's rooted in the microbiome having dysfunction. There's dysbiosis there as well. Oh, and hormonal birth control, because it, may, it causes inflammation and it makes the cells rigid, and it's been well recognized that it can induce uh, blood sugar dysregulation and mild insulin resistance. Now, the studies, they always crack me up because they're like, it induces insulin resistance, like similar to pregnancy. And I'm like, yeah, you know, and how, how many people are pregnant for 10 years? Like, think about that. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great point. <laughs> Or they'll say like, you know, the research has concluded that hormonal birth control has a similar impact as antibiotics on the microbiome. Well, who stays on antibiotics for five years, eight years, exactly. 10 years? People don't do that. And so we have to start framing it in this way. Now with women with polycystic ovarian syndrome, they're already at higher risk for heart disease. They're already at higher risk for a stroke. And now you put them on hormonal birth control, which is raising inflammation, causing blood sugar dysregulation, leading to gut dysbiosis and leaky gut. And we've got the whole impact of it's putting them at higher risk for stroke and heart attack. So this is something where I really take issue, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Those were like my first gals where I was like, 
you're not getting the full story here and you really need the full story on what's happening because I would start measuring their blood work in my clinic and I'm like, so your inflammatory proteins and like your LPPLA2 and MPO and these markers of like cardiovascular disease, they're elevated. Like we, like being on the pill right now is not a good idea for you. And then we would work to support their body and then transition them off of that. So does that all make sense? It does. And you explain it really beautifully. I mean, when you put it something like, you know, it, it's being compared to things like pregnancy, but nobody's pregnant for 10 years. Like <laughs> that really puts things into perspective big time. I mean, what, what are some of the things that we can start to do to begin to heal our bodies then after coming off the pill. I mean, I have so many questions about this, but let's start, let's start there because I think that for anyone who, I mean, most young women, let's be real, the statistics are there to back it up, have been on the pill at some point or are currently on the pill. So what can they do to begin to fix things that are going wrong? Yeah, totally. So if you're on um, hormonal birth control now, don't start freaking out, okay? There's so much you can do to start supporting your body and then transitioning off when it's, it's time for you. So, you know, within my book, Beyond the Pill, I outline, you know, uh, the Brighton Protocol, which is like the five things you must do on hormonal birth control to transition off or if you're struggling with post-birth control syndrome. Now, number one, everybody has to replenish nutrient stores. So Hormonal birth control is depleting your nutrient stores like crazy. And uh, we're talking about things like B12 and folate and zinc and selenium and magnesium, like all these things you need to make neurotransmitters, to make hormones, to detox through your liver. Like, you know, if you get pregnant on the pill, you need folate. So you have to replenish your nutrient stores. And, you know, first we always start with diet, but I will tell you, you cannot out diet hormonal birth control. Like you're going to need to bring in supplementation as well. And that's part of that is because it's, it gets pretty hard to absorb nutrients from your food um, as, as efficiently as you would um, if you were off the pill. And because the pill is affecting your digestive tract, it can affect your hydrochloric acid, your bile acids. So it's got a big impact on that digestive tract. So replenishing nutrient stores. And if you're like, wait, what do I do right now? Go to drbrighton.com slash PBCS diet. I have a free guide right there that's like, okay, here's what to start eating, cut out these foods, eat these other foods instead. Like we're going for a super nutrient dense diet, lowering your inflammation and making sure that we're replenishing nutrient stores. And then you'll likely need a multivitamin or prenatal. Most menstruating females need a prenatal because their iron levels, uh, they're losing iron through their blood every single month. And so you can also get blood work in beyond the pill. I, I give you all the blood work that you should be asking your doctor for, you know, and I have a chapter. So women will ask me like, what if I'm, what if I've never been on hormonal birth control? I'm not on it. I'm like, well, I've got an entire chapter. That's like, if you got a hormone imbalance, this like, here it is, this is what it might mean. This is what, like, you know, what might be going on, what to ask your doctor for and what to do in the meantime, while you wait for those lab testing, you wait for that appointment with your doctor. Now, uh, the second thing is that you've got to identify your hormone imbalance. So this is something where I will see people that are like, everybody who comes off hormonal birth control has estrogen dominance. Sometimes, maybe, but sometimes it's actually rooted in cortisol dysfunction. Sometimes it's about their thyroid. Sometimes it's about testosterone. And so within Beyond the Pill, I put an entire quiz in there. It's like a really robust quiz where it's like, is it estrogen, high or low? Is it progesterone, high or low? Is it cortisol? Is it thyroid? Like, is it testosterone? Like, which of the hormones are really driving your hormone imbalance? And then I give a whole supplement diet and lifestyle protocol for each of those. So like, if you're estrogen dominant, you need to eat them this way. This is like your lifestyle activities and these are the supplements you want to consider. 
Now we've got to heal the gut. You've heard me talk about the gut so much. That is, that is three out of five. We've got to heal the gut. I've got an entire chapter just on gut healing because that is so crucial, especially with the, um, you know, the direction that autoimmunity is going in women. We're seeing more and more women with autoimmunity. And I talk all about the autoimmune connection with hormonal birth control in my, uh, in my book. I have a quiz for you in there. Do you need to heal your gut? Like how significant are your gut issues? And then same thing. we got a whole protocol. And that's because I'm, I like, I don't know about you, but I get so frustrated when I'm reading a book and it's like problem, 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 problem. And you're like, <laughs> what do I do about it? And so like, I mean, in my first book, it was the same thing as a postpartum book. And I was so frustrated with like pregnancy books that were like, here's this flowery story. And I'm like, I just want to know what to do about it. Like, <laughs> exactly. And so I already so, know what's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I was working with my editors, they were like, we'll just set up the problem. Then we'll give the whole solutions in the back. I'm like, we're going to put a whole program in the back, a whole 30 day program, meal plan, supplement guide, the whole works. But when she's reading this and she's like, Oh snap, I'm freaking out solution. Oh, next thing. Okay. Solution. And like right, right away. And like, there are so many protocols in that, in the book. Um, it's just this is like ridiculously full book. Um, so now the, uh, four out of five is we've got to do a post birth control detox. This is all about the liver and the emunctories. So you got to make sure that you can detox and move it out. When you get into liver chapter, you're going to be like, Oh my God, why did I ever use this contraceptive? Because you're going to learn all about what it does to your liver and how awesome your liver is. But don't worry. Because epigenetics for the win, even though I'm going to line everything up and be like, it alters your liver at the genetic level. And like, here's what we know. There's, I have seen clinically women be able to turn all of this around and they do it with the 14 day detox that I outline in my book. Now I want to be very specific. We don't do a post-birth control detox to detox these hormones out. Your body's going to do that. Your liver's going to do that. We do it because you've depleted nutrients and your liver can't actually operate. Um, you can start getting benign liver tumors when you're on hormonal birth control, which means that you have tissue that's no longer working correctly. But we do this because the fastest way I've seen to turn symptoms around is if we just hit it hard for like 14 days, we use you know particular supplements with this. I created a whole supplement line around this, but also eating really nutrient dense foods, which is like high quality protein and cruciferous vegetables. And if you're somebody who's like, ew, I don't like broccoli. Can you just eat some broccoli sprouts? Like <laughs> just eat some broccoli sprouts. Cause that is something like right now, you know, if you can start shifting your diet, loving up your liver, I talk all about castor oil packs, all those kinds of things in my book to really support your liver. This is how women get clear skin. You support your gut and you support your liver and your skin is going to look amazing. Now, five out of five is that metabolic repair. As I told you what happens with PCOS, just because you don't have PCOS doesn't mean it ain't messing with your insulin and your inflammation. And I talked through that chapter about you know, cardiometabolic health as well. This is something that we're not taught as women, that we present differently than men when it comes to a heart attack. We are statistically at a higher rate of dying of a heart attack. So you, know, you walk into an emergency room, a man walks in an emergency room at the same time, you're both having a heart attack. You are more likely to be told that's in your head and sent home and being like, you need to go rest and he's treated and you go home and you die. Like that is lame. That shouldn't be happening anymore. So I actually teach women about that in my book. I'm like, this is what you need to know. And I don't care if you're 20. I have had teenagers have strokes and come to my office and being like, I had a stroke while I was on the pill. So I also talk about lab testing that you can do. So you don't have to be afraid. Like that's the big thing. I don't want you to be afraid. If you're on hormonal birth control, coming off it, whatever, wherever you're at, 
And I want you to feel supported. Like you have the best information that you need to be able to make the best decision for yourself and not have fear around this. And so the metabolic repair is focused on certain way of eating, blood sugar balance, bringing in anti-inflammatories um, as well, and then making sure that we're eating in a way that's consistent with your hormones and your hormonal needs. So like I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting, but if your adrenals are going wah-wah every time you're skipping meals, it ain't for you right now. Like we've got we've to just shift that and do something differently. And so those are really like the five areas that you need to focus on. Um, if you're struggling with post-birth control syndrome or you're thinking about coming off of hormonal birth control, and many of those you need to be employing if you're going to stay on it because that's going to safeguard and help you maintain your health while you stay on it. That's so helpful. I, I can't wait for everyone to get your book. I can't wait to get your book because I think that this is just going to really address so many of the issues that women are having. And I think a lot of women, this is why I really wanted to do this episode was because I think a lot of women aren't even noticing, you know, they're noticing issues with their skin and they're noticing all these other things, but they aren't connecting the dots. And it's no wonder because this isn't out in mainstream media. It, this, is not, this is not something that uh, most of our doctors are talking to us about. This is something that we have to basically recognize in ourselves and realize that there is something going on and basically do our own research. So I love that your book is going to provide so much assistance with all of this. I know that um, it's also going to break down like you have you meal plans and all that stuff in your book, but do you have like sort of a particular nutritional breakdown that you, and again, this would obviously vary depending on the individual and what they're dealing with, but do you have sort of a go-to nutritional breakdown, like higher fat, uh, lower carb, higher protein, anything like that, that, that you tend to see better results with? Yeah. So you got to eat fat. Like, and I say this, like, oh man, there's so many things I would tell my 20 something year old self. Like I actually convinced myself I didn't like butter. Like who doesn't like butter? <laughs> Come on. I'm like my twenties. I'm like on the pill. I have no libido. I'm not eating any fat. I was like a fat free vegetarian eating egg whites. I'm like, what was I doing? <laughs> um, all the gluten. I was a very good, like following the food pyramid, six servings of gluten a day and wondering why I couldn't walk some days. <laughs> like it's not good. Um, so you know, I say that because I like to share with women, like sometimes like I think um, we hear people talking in health and we start to put them on a pedestal and we don't realize that the only reason why they're, they're a little further ahead than us is because they fell in every pothole on the road and they got back up and they didn't stop. And so if you fell in a pothole, I, I want to help you not fall in the next one. Okay. <laughs> so, like, that's it. Um, you know, so with that, we definitely need high quality protein. So um, in Beyond the Pill, we're going, you're going to implement a dietary practice. This is something I've developed in uh, my clinic. You're going to put, there's gonna be some foods to pull out. We're doing it not because they're bad, because we have to test what's true for you. We have to test. I don't get down with this diet dogma where people are like, dairy's bad for everyone. Well, maybe, like, and I got like, you're not a small cow, but like, I'm in France right now and cheese is amazing. Like, <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna eat some cheese. Um, but you know, we have to know what's true for you. There are people, the coffee is the biggest dogma. I'm like, can you stop with the coffee already? Um, because it's true, it doesn't work for some women, but you know, there's also research showing it's great for brain health. It's great for liver health. And so it's like, I don't like like dogmatic generalizations. We have a saying in my clinic, dogma equals death. Um, and if you get, and I, I want to say this, like I was a 10 year vegetarian 
who was super clinging to like my identity as a vegetarian. But then I ended up with a ferritin of three. That's your storage form of iron. And I was like, oh snap, like that's bad. That should be like 70. Okay, you guys, it was three. And um, my doctor was like, okay, so you're going to take all these iron supplements. And I was like, but what I'm hearing is my diet's not working for me. And he was like, well, um, you know, I'm not going to tell you to eat meat because you're a vegetarian. And I'm like, but wait, my diet's not working for me and you're not willing to have that conversation with me. And he's like, well, yeah, because I mean, you're a vegetarian and like, that's your identity. And I was like, something's not, that's not right. Like, um, and so with that, I really had, and it wasn't easy. <laughs> it wasn't easy, but I had to recognize, okay, my diet's not working for me. And that really was a moment where it clicked that there is no one size fits all diet for everybody. And there's no one size fits all diet for your life. Like you're going to have different stages and phases in your life. We're going to need to change your eating habits. Now, when you're so when you're on hormonal birth control, it is nutrient dense, and I'm talking like, can you please get six to nine servings of vegetables a day? You're not going to do that tomorrow, but work towards that. When you come off of hormonal birth control, there's no denying, like there's no research out there that would tell you like eating as many plants as possible is bad. So eat as many plants as possible, whole variety of colors. That's awesome. But we're going to need high quality protein as well. So unless you are getting an array of amino acids, so the full spectrum, your liver's not going to run its detoxification pathways. Now, my research when I was um, in my master's was in sarcopenic obesity. And I'm specifically, so sarcopenic obesity is when we get older, we delete muscle cells, and then we build fat cells. And that's when you see people who have really skinny arms and legs in their 60s, and their, their body's really round. Um, they have a lot of adiposity or fat. And um, that is setting you up for like, that is bad, okay? That's really bad for uh, chronic disease. And what we found is, is that branched chain amino acids, so leucine, isoleucine, and valine could actually prevent that. And so where do you find those? You find those in animal products. So, you know, I do recommend a lot of animal products, but I also am very respectful. Like maybe you're a vegan for religious reasons. And in that, in that case, you need to get really dialed in with like all of the protein sources you're eating to make sure that you're getting the array of amino acids. And you may even need to take branched chain amino acids because you need skeletal muscle if you're going to turn around those metabolic issues. And the, the skeletal muscle will actually store those for energy so that when you work out, you can go a little bit further, a little bit harder in that. So high quality protein, you know, I want to say whenever I'm recommending protein, I'm very adamant of like, look, we know that if you are eating animals that are grass-fed, they are treated better. Um, they're also going to be raised in a way that's helping rebuild the microbiome of the earth. And if we all don't get it together and rebuilding the microbiome of the earth, like we're going to be all in big, big trouble. If you think for a second, like we can keep trashing the planet and still be healthy, like that ain't going to happen. But you know, that's something that like soy fields, not good for the planet. Grass-fed cows pooping and eating grass, very good for the planet. And even these farms where, uh, and if you've heard me speak before, I'm very passionate about supporting farmers, but there's farms that are actually rotating pigs and chicken and cattle in a way with crops that is actually rebuilding the earth's soil and, and helping mineralize the earth, which I think if you can dollar vote towards that, it's good for your health. It's good for the planet's health. It's going gonna, it's gonna to move everybody's health in the right direction. Now, in terms of carbs, um, in Beyond the Pill, I do recommend women cutting out grains. And the reason for that is because grains are inflammatory. Um, they also can be problematic in terms of uh, you know, your digestive health and 
really, I want you to eat a nutrient-dense diet. So does that mean low carb? No. And I get this all the time on Instagram. People see my food and they're like, you don't eat any carbs. I'm like, no, 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 no. I like avoid grains for the most part because that doesn't work for my body. I've tested that and I don't do so well eating, um, you know, a lot of grains. But instead, I want you to eat squash and sweet potatoes. And I want you to eat fruit. I want you to eat these, um, you know, fruits and vegetables that are have higher carbohydrates, but are very nutrient-dense like what you're going to get from a sweet potato, like you're going to get a lot of good stuff from a sweet potato. And you're, when you're, you know, compared to grains and you're varying your fiber. Now, is this forever? No, not forever. Um, but you've got to test it and you've got to pull out those grains and test it for yourself. And then if you're not eating fat, you're not going to build your hormones. And I go over, I have a chapter called the lowdown on your hormones where I basically give you, you know, I give you so much information that we should have gotten the day we got our period. But it's all about like how you actually build your hormones and you build your hormones from cholesterol. So when you hear, I, I want to really frame this. When you hear there's really smart guys out there, cardiologists who are like, everybody should eat like cholesterol free diet because it's bad for your heart. Well, let's keep in mind that these individuals are working with like 65 plus year old men who have already had heart attacks, but who's listening right now is probably somewhere in her twenties to forties who, if she doesn't eat that cholesterol and build her hormones, then she's going to be at risk for osteoporosis and heart disease. And so it's uh, well, that can be true information for, you know, an older male. It's not, it's not true for females. And so this is something I, I take issue with when we have that, like, Again, just that general blanket statement of like, oh, this is bad for all humans. Well, hold up. You did a study on men. Then you said, oh, well, women, they're, they're the same, same, same. We'll just say like, oh, it's the same thing. We are not the same. We grow humans in our body. We have ebbs and flows in our hormones. Like we're not men. Like we're just not men. And so what's true for my husband isn't true for me. And um, I actually did an Instagram story just the other day showing how the portion size differences that I feed my son and I feed myself and like how we parse that out and like how, you know, he gets more grains than I do. Like that, that's something that he needs that we figured out. Like we've got to get, and it's things like, oatmeal that's mostly oatmeal when it comes to grains um just trying to get him variety of fiber in his diet but just to understand that you know sometimes you go to a doc and you have to say like who what population are they working with or even when you're listening i mean like i said there's so much great good true like health information out there but you always have to question is it true for me and i want you to question everybody Question me, okay? Question everybody because you know your body better than anyone else. Oh, I love this. I've just been nodding along as, as you've been talking to basically every point you've been making because all of this just could not be more true and this is just absolutely invaluable. I, I want to be really respectful of your time, so I just have a couple more quick questions. Um, sure. one I of them. <laughs> no, I love it. This is why I love you. You are the most passionate person I know about this topic, which is why I came straight to the source because I wanted to talk to you about all this. <laughs> so I do want to ask you really quickly about fertility. So mm -hmm. what, I feel like there's a huge amount of fear about this. I have gone through some of my own fears around this, especially being on the pill so long-term. What, what effect does the pill have on fertility long-term, you know, after coming off of it? What, what can we expect to have as a result of that? And again, yeah. I realize that this can vary obviously, but 
Oh, totally. And, you know, there's an entire chapter in Beyond the Pill where I talk about fertility because a lot of women come off the pill wanting to get pregnant. So this is, um, this is where I say medicine has done a bit of an ostrich move where they just bury their head in the sand and they tell every single woman, like, there's no impact on fertility. There's no impact on fertility, but we don't really know. Like, because like you said, like your period didn't come back. There's some women who get off of hormonal birth control, they find they can't have a baby. And that may very well be because they did have PCOS underlying or they did have endometriosis or something else underlying their condition that has now made it so that they're struggling with fertility. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The other thing is that, so with just everything that I said, so I don't want you to be scared, okay? So, but I want you to understand this. There have been studies that saying it can take up to 18 months for a couple to get pregnant after a woman comes off of birth control, even as much as two years to get ovulation back and for a woman to get pregnant. Now keep that in mind that the average couple with nothing going on takes about six months to get pregnant, um, you know, depending on age, but like the, that is also something that's being questioned and, and is being debated the whole age and that 35 year old uh, business that we've been told. But so with that, it can take you time to get pregnant. In addition, it's disrupted your microbiome, it's caused inflammation and nutrient depletions. All of those things can make you struggle with fertility. So you definitely have some work to do when you come off of birth control. And um, I talk about in my book, like six months is really the minimum. It's really the minimum. And I've been saying that for years. And then uh, it was interesting because this study came out in 2018 showing if women get pregnant within six months of discontinuing hormonal birth control, their baby is at higher risk of childhood cancer. Now, let me just say straight away. If that was you, shake it off, okay? Don't go judging yourself. Don't go hating on yourself. I know I'm a mom too. I know the first thing we do is we get in the mirror, we look at our eyes and we're like, you did everything wrong. No, you did the best you could with the information you had. And you know what happens sometimes? Whoops, that pill is only 91% affected and you got pregnant and there wasn't a dang thing you could have done about that because nature finds a way. So don't be judging yourself. But it is something that when that came out, my husband was actually the one that was like, whoa, I've heard you. He listens to me while I'm in podcasts and interviewing and talking all the time. And um, he was like, did you know that like already? Like, did you see that? Like you've always said six months. And I'm like, no, I've just seen that clinically that's how it's, what it's going to take for a woman to build the nutrient stores, to get her gut back on track, to reverse those symptoms. And so I think a lot of that work and what you're going to find in post, uh, in beyond the pill around that post birth control syndrome really will set you up for a much healthier pregnancy. Now, there's been another, uh, there's other studies that have come out that's showing that hormonal birth control down-regulates your endometrial receptor. So the endometrial lining is the lining of your uterus. And the way I explain it in Beyond the Pill is like, look, you want to cuddle up at night. Do you want to cuddle up in a softy, soft down comforter? A softy. <laughs> my kids. Um, or do you want to cuddle up on the floor? like a hard floor. Like, what are you going to choose? You're going to you're gonna choose the soft down comforter, right? That's what an, a fertilized egg is going to choose as well. But if that lining doesn't build to a certain thickness, then you can get pregnant. This is the most heartbreaking. You can get pregnant, but you cannot maintain that pregnancy. Now, we don't know why that happens. And there is no science out there being like, and this is how you get it back. But we know that the body is miraculous stem cells be everywhere. And that if you really, really take care of your body, there's a lot of the genetic expressions that can shift, that can change. That's what epigenetics is. And so I want to say, don't lose hope on that. It's been reproductive endocrinologists who are observing this. They don't totally know why it happens. We hypothesize that's the same reason endometrial uh, cancer risk is lower. We don't totally know why it happens. And we don't know why it happens to certain women. Now, the other thing I'm going to say 
do not let anyone test your anti-malarian hormone. That's not malaria. It's malarian. <laughs> I always get questions about that. AMH while you're on hormonal birth control, because it'll be downright scary. And you, the, and then I've seen this where patients come to me and they're like, my doctor tested my AMH and they said I'm infertile. And I'm like, well, you're on the pill. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's going to look like you're infertile. Like, don't, no, no, no. Like there's so much that you can do now to start prepping your body. And then when you come off. So you know, there's research coming out showing there is an impact on some women. We don't to totally understand who. And like, really, um, I think that so much of this has been that doctors recognize that hormonal birth control has been a tool for women, the women's movement. So they don't want to question it. And they don't want to scare a woman into thinking like, oh, well, you know, you might be infertile if you take this. Like that's, nobody wants to do that. But at the same time, I think we need to start questioning these things because if we understand more, we ask more of these questions and we believe women's stories, we're going to be able to dial in, okay, who does this impact? Who's most at risk? And how do we actually parcue them for that? How do we give them the information that they need? And how do we do that individualized medicine that we so need? And so I just, I really, really don't want anyone to be afraid. There, you know, there hasn't been a study to date that's like, absolutely, you will be uh, infertile. And uh, the other thing I would say is that if you are struggling with getting pregnant, or you're having miscarriages after coming off of hormonal birth control, if you haven't checked PCOS, then definitely, check, uh, well, I would you need to check this anyways, you need to check yourself for hypothyroidism. TSH, free T4, free T3, TPO, and thyroglobulin antibodies. Elevated TPO antibodies are associated with increased risk of miscarriage and infertility. A TSH that's above 2.5, there have been studies to show that women will miscarry or won't be able to get pregnant. And I've had women in my office, so hormone, we don't have time to go into, I do have an entire thyroid chapter in my book though, but all about how hormonal birth control impacts the thyroid. I've had women come into my office can't get pregnant. They've been doing everything right. We look at that TSH. It's at three. And I'm like, okay, when do you want to get pregnant? Yesterday. How long have you been prepping your body? Two years. Okay. Let's try a thyroid medication. Oh, we're pregnant the next month. So it sometimes can be as simple as that, but it's a matter of working it up and getting those, those questions answered so that you know what's going to be best for you. Oh, that's amazing. That is just enormously, enormously helpful. I, and I'm going to be going back to make sure that I, I get notes on all of that because <laughs> that's perfect to go to your doctor with. So tell us uh, really quickly where we can find your book, because I know we've been talking about it throughout, um, but where we can find your book, where we can find you. Uh, and obviously I'll be referencing all of this in the show notes as well. Yeah. So you can find my book everywhere that they sell books. It's everywhere. Um, and you can also find it at drbrighton.com. Um, you know, if you buy the book, I've got some bonuses for you. You can go to beyond the pill book. Uh, yes. Beyond the pill book.com. I've been messing that up lately. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure. So beyond the pillbook.com, they've got a bunch of bonuses there um, for you. Like I said, you can grab that free quick start guide, start getting on that diet right away, but drbrighton.com slash PBCS diet. Um, my name's tricky. It's D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N. Uh, so I write a lot on my blog. Um, I do a lot of videos on YouTube, so you can find me there as well. And then I'm always hanging out on Instagram. I love answering people's questions on Instagram, posting photos, a, a lot. Instagram. It's totally my jam. So, oh my and I'm also awesome. on Facebook, but I like, I'm a little bit biased. I do love Instagram. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I just, well, I'm a foodie. Like, yeah, I just love scrolling through all those food photos too. But it's like, I, I think I find the platform is very easy to interact with people. And when I get questions, I can just jump on and do a quick story or an IGTV because I know if one woman's asking a question, there's like hundreds of other women who want to ask the question. And then I can just get it up there so that women can start getting that education and get the help they need. And I love your Instagram. You're always so, so good at that. So definitely uh, make sure to go check Dr. Brighton over there. And uh, if you could offer people just one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? Oh, so I think, you know, the biggest thing is get grateful now. Like the, the very moment that you are listening to this will never, ever exist again. Okay. Let it sink in. Like all you have is right now and you, you can't bank on tomorrow ever. And I think that we fall into this, um, trap sometimes as women where we're like, when I have just perfect health, then I I'm going to be happy. Or like when I meet the man of my dreams, then I'm going to be happy. And we kind of punt and put off our happiness, our joy and our gratitude. And you know, everything I've been going through. And then I just want to say like, do not wait for anything to be grateful for everything that you have. Like the second you wake up in the morning, that is a miracle. Your eyes opened, you took a breath. And in that moment, you have the ability to set the intention to own your day. Don't get on Instagram. Don't get on your email. Set the intention and own your day. Because if you are, if you are in a space of gratitude every single day, you're going to lower inflammatory proteins. You'll start optimizing your hormones and you will change your neuronal pathways in which that you can manifest anything that you can dream. So right now in this moment, just take a moment. What are you grateful for? I love it. I cannot absolutely think of any better way to wrap up. And you are just such a beautiful example of, of that. I, I watch you every day from afar, um, just setting a really great example in terms of gratitude, especially with everything that you've been dealing with on a personal level. So thank you so much, especially for like going over time on this interview. I'm so, so grateful for you. And I just, I can't wait for everyone to check out your book. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was an awesome conversation. And like I said, I'm so grateful for you and the work that you're doing and for every woman who is taking the time to listen to this, because we're going to change women's medicine and we're going to do it together. It's the only way that we're going to improve this world for women. And so it's a delight to be here. Thank you again. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. All show notes and references can be found over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. And can you do me one huge favor before you go though? If you can take a, take a screenshot of this episode and tag me on social media, I would absolutely love to see who's listening and get to connect with you and thank you. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would go a long way and make such a huge difference. It really helps to get the word out there, get more amazing guests on the show and helps to get all of this information out to the world. Looking forward to growing with you.